happy hour now (laughs) without thinking of this time during our worship service. Our second lesson, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, is from the Gospel of Matthew. It's printed for you here in your liturgy. It's um, For those of you who were around last week in person or on Zoom, uh, this is uh, a continuation of where we were last week. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, How often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So, my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart This is a place where we usually invite you to say, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, thanks be to God for that really scary story, right? Um, I'm just going to do a a preface here at the front. I'm going to ask you to put that parable in the back of your minds. Um, We're going to come back to it towards the end of the homily, uh, and we're going to work with it. Uh, And we're going to remember that it's a parable, and what a parable is, and what it's what the main point of it is, um, but it is one of those stories that it has a life all of its own. If you grew up in the church, and it invites you to imagine that judgment is the same thing as damnation, and it it's just can be very confusing. So we're going to come back to it later in the in the homily, but it's there for a reason, and I do want to come back to it. So that's my little preface. Now let's pray. God, we do thank you. For the gospel, thanks be to God for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear the gospel, 
who is see Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, um, like I said a few moments ago, we were actually doing a continuation of where we were last week. Just before this, we were talking about uh, forgiveness. We were talking about dealing with uh, your sister, your brother, your friend, primarily your friends in Christ, but anybody, you know, is um, included in this category. What do you do when someone hurts you? And the advice is you go to them, you tell them that they hurt you, and offer them the opportunity, invite them into an opportunity of asking you for forgiveness. So now more on forgiveness, right? Last week, uh, we contextualized this in the big idea about God's love being the reason for everything. God's love being the reason for everything. And one amazing reality that we touched on last week is that when you look at how the church community, the early church, the foretaste of the new humanity that Christ is gathering around himself, when you look at how that community is discussed and taught about in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, um, you'll note that when a church community is functioning properly, it paints a picture of God's love in the world. It demonstrates God's love in the world. The church, if you will, is in the shape of God's love, the shape of God's self-giving love. And we had this quote last week, and a couple of you were asking me about it, and I thought I would trot it out here again at the beginning of the homily because it is such a powerful quote, a powerful arrangement of ideas in one succinct paragraph that, that talks about you know, the, the wonder of what the church is in the world when it's functioning properly. And that quote is from Luke Timothy Johnson, uh, who's this really gifted New Testament scholar down at, uh, uh, at Candler School in, in um, Emory, part of Emory in Atlanta. Here's the quote. The church is, in a real sense, the continuation of the incarnation. And you'll remember I, I said last week that that, you know, you know, keep that in mind on Sunday morning, right? You're, you're not just going to church. You're going to the continuation of the incarnation. And maybe you can get by with, like, one less cup of coffee on your way in. I, I have to think like that. I used to say in the old times at Grace when, when all of us uh, were alive. <laughs> all of us, okay? So all of us who were here at the beginning of Grace, we used to be 20 years younger, right, than we are now. And some of you are here in this room, and you know who I'm talking about. And uh, we used to imagine that it was fine still to go out until 2 in the morning and then go to church the next morning. Um, and so I would often, you know, begin church back in those days by saying, thank you for gathering together after a short night that many of you had. Uh, you could have gone to brunch. You could have read the New York Times. But you chose to come to the continuation of the Incarnation. The church is, in a real sense, the continuation of the incarnation, the embodied presence of the resurrected Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is the laboratory for communal life before God, the model that the world can see as the basis for its own rebirth. So the church, the continuation of the incarnation, it's in the shape of Jesus' self-giving love, 
It is, as we said last week, the place where we breathe the air of Christ. Because of all this, we confess that the church is a place where we learn that forgiving one another, and now we're getting toward what we're going to look at this morning, the church is the community where we learn that forgiving one another is the only way, the only way to move towards human flourishing. Because to flourish as a human being is to participate in God's love at work in the world. And to participate in God's love at work in the world is to participate in God's forgiveness. This is what we learn from Peter's interaction with Jesus here. Context. Peter has just heard Jesus teach about the importance of church members living authentically and honestly with one another, which included, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, instructions about members coming to one another when one member was sinned against by another member. So Peter's just heard all this, right? And because he's Peter, and I love, I love these little moments where we hear about Peter because the early church tradition held, and I don't know why we wouldn't think this is true, there's some debate a little bit in modern scholarship about which gospel was first and, and where did the sources come from. But the earliest church leaders said that Mark was the first gospel and that Peter dictated it to Mark. And when you think about it that way, it's really quite amazing. Peter tells himself all the time, right? Um, you know, he, he does not present himself in the best of lights. He presents himself in honest light, um, and that's, of course, keeping with how the Bible talks about human beings. I mean, the authors of the Old Testament do not portray heroes of the faith that never make mistakes. They portray people of, of the faith who often make mistakes and are restored into relationship with each other and into relationship with God by God's inexhaustive and untiring love. So anyway, this is not one of those moments that that Peter does anything super embarrassing, but he just does something all very human, right? He says, okay, so this whole thing about forgiveness, all right, how many times do I have to do that? <laughs> and, you know, because Peter wants to put a, his best step forward, he uses a holy number, right? Seven, and it's more than once, right? It's more than twice, it, on and on and on. It's seven times. I mean, that's kind of a big deal, and Peter's thinking, I'm going to lead out here with that, and I'll get a little attaboy, right? No. <laughs> no, Peter. <laughs> and it, 77 times, um, the idea being it's a perfect number, it's a big number, the idea being as many times as you need to. As many times as you need to. And what we're moving toward here is another one of these big picture ideas. When we talked about, we mashed together Romans 12 and this portion of Matthew 18 that's right before this today. Uh, we mashed those together last week. And in order to do that, we did, took a big step back, wide angle lens, and said, you know, 
all this is about actually participating in God's love toward the world, whether it's loving neighbor, forgiving, what have you. Um, and so here, what we're leaning toward, especially when we get into this parable, is we're leaning towards the mysterious truth that when we forgive someone, we are as close to the heart of God as we will ever be in this world. When you forgive someone, you are so close to the very heart of God, you're just, you're just right there. It's one of those, uh, when Caleb uh, was here, one of our uh, pastors who now moved on to Australia, Caleb would talk about, I don't know if he came up with this himself or he borrowed it from somebody, but I associated with him. He talked about the thin places in our lives. And uh, it's a thin place when you forgive someone. You know, you're, you're in that thin place. You're so close to the heart of God. Um, so, forgiveness uh, is a requirement, right? It's the way this is being played out here. It's not optional, but it's a requirement. A requirement. And to tag along with what we were talking about last week, you know, as a category thing, it's a requirement in the same way, say, as loving one's neighbor, as God has loved us. And that's challenging, right? It's very difficult to live this way. We noted last week that we look to the church community as the place where we learn how to be human, how to extend the love of God to others, because our society is an unreliable teacher about how to be human. And just like last week when we talked about God's love more generally, love for neighbor, and what that looks like, this week I think it's fair to note that our society is an unreliable teacher about how to think about and participate and how to do forgiveness. At best, the spirit of our age may say, Something like this, forgive when and if you decide to do that according to your own wishes and your own desires, knowing that when you do, you can take satisfaction in being the bigger person. I mean, I think that we've all heard a version of that, right? But that version that I just kind of made up based on things that I've heard before, um, that version misses the whole point about forgiveness. The whole point. Ron Williams puts it this way, and I am not even going to try to paraphrase this because he just writes it so beautifully. So I'm going to quote from him. Quote beginning here, it is a gross distortion of forgiveness that sees it as a sort of claim to power over the other, being a patron or benefactor towards someone less secure. We should rather think of those extraordinary words in the prophecy of Hosea about the mercy of God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? For I am God and not a mortal. To forgive is to share in the helplessness of God who cannot turn from God's own nature. Not to forgive would be a wound 
for God in the divine life itself. Not power, but the powerlessness of the God whose nature is love is what is shown in the act of forgiving. The believer rooted in Christ shares that powerlessness, and the deeper the roots go, the less possible it is not to forgive. End quote. Participating in God's forgiveness is nothing short of participating in, this is to say a different way, what we've said already, it's nothing short of participating in the movement of God's reconciling love without which our world would never be redeemed, never be made whole, never be a place where humans can live as humans are meant to live. I mean, think about that when you're faced with the complexity of how to forgive someone who's asked for forgiveness. Um, to not wrestle with it would be to de facto wrestle against God's movement in the world, right? Now, I'm not saying that it's easy for to forgive people, and I'm not saying you should do it easily or tritely or, in, you know, um, without thought, reflection, prayer, struggle, because it can be very difficult depending on what it is. And I'm also not saying that um, forgiveness equals the removal of boundaries. You know, sometimes when you forgive someone, you also recognize that that's not a safe relationship, right? But it doesn't mean that, you know, you get off the hook for not wrestling with forgiveness. And that is, again, because forgiveness is not a preference or not a way of showing that we're a bigger person. Forgiveness is actually participating in the movement of God's love in the world. And so to kick against that is futile and will hurt you as a human being in the long run. Um, forgiveness is how God heals the world. Plain and simple. Miroslav Volf puts it this way in his amazing book, Exclusion and Embrace, when he says that the only way out of the cycle of violence and retribution that the world is addicted to is through forgiveness. Quote, a genuinely free act of forgiveness, which does not merely react, but acts in freedom. In other words, God's movement toward the world. That forgiveness breaks the power of the remembered past and so makes the spiral of vengeance grind to a halt. That's from Miroslav Boff. So to sum things up, forgiveness must be noted to be an aspect of the character of God. What do I mean by that? It's not something God decided to do. It's something that God is. And there's a difference there. God didn't decide to forgive. In the same way God is love, God is forgiveness. It's part of his identity, his character. And it's so central to God's redemptive design for the world that to oppose it by refusing to participate in it in our own lives is like cursing God, like blasphemy, now, I debated whether to say this, but I mean, just to put a fine point in it, um, it's like giving God the finger. It's a big deal. 
It's a big deal. And that's the reason why Jesus takes this moment to tell a very shocking and scary parable about the unforgiving servant. Like with all parables of judgment, this parable must be acknowledged uh, to be a parable, (laughs) which means that it's not unlike a metaphor or an analogy. And like with all metaphors and analogies, there is, um, there's an is, right? And an is not to it. So God does judge as wrong and subhuman a refusal to show mercy to others. That's the is part, right? Uh, but God does not have torturers, right? <laughs> That's the is not part. It's a story. It's a parable. And like all parables on judgment, the judgment message there is ordered towards our redemption and reconciliation. It's shocking. It's meant to set us on our heels. It's meant to show us what we may not have ever acknowledged on our own, which is that in this case, to not struggle with in, a, in the right direction forgiving others, to not do that, is um, ultimately subhuman behavior. Some parables sneak up on you and surprise you, disclosing the truth to you in a way that makes you realize that you agree with something that you didn't know you were supposed to agree with. Other parables clobber you over the head and are meant to shock you. This is one of those. This is one of those. So if your takeaway is, um, if I don't forgive someone, I'm going to hell, uh, that's not the right takeaway. Because parables about judgment are not parables about hell. They're parables about judgment. We have to stay in our lane. God's lane is judgment. Our lane is humility and repentance and patience and forgiveness. So don't, use, don't let that be your takeaway. But here would be a takeaway, I think. If you're deliberately withholding mercy from someone, this is the time to stop doing that. That's one thing. But I think the bigger picture teaching here is that we need to understand ourselves as, as not those who are free agents, autonomous actors in the world. That's why I say we come to church to learn what it means to be human. In the rest of the world, the zeitgeist, the spirit of our age, you're encouraged to think of yourself as a free agent, autonomous human being, making your own choices. Even the way we talk about God sometimes, we talk about it in those categories. We're not people that agree with what Jesus says when we feel like it makes sense, but rather as those who live those who acknowledge that our reason for existence is for the purpose of passing on God's love and mercy to others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's stand and respond by singing together, I Surrender All. <laughs>